Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. If you will, you can open up your order of worship and you can follow along with me there, uh, filling in some of these blanks. But the other day I was reading an actual true story about a gentleman who was on trial for murder in the great state of Oklahoma. And there was uh, strong evidence that would state that this man did, in fact, commit the murder. However, there was no body. No body was to be found. And so this man's attorney realizing that if indeed uh, this man, uh, with all the evidence against him, uh, if indeed it all went to the jury, the jury would probably uh, most assuredly find him guilty of committing a crime. And so he began to think really hard about how he might come up with a creative defense uh, for his client. And so he went to the jury and he said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I have a surprise for you all. And the lawyer said, as he looked at his watch, he said, within one minute, the person presumed dead in this case will enter the courtroom. So he looked towards the courtroom door and the jurors, somewhat stunned, they turned their head, looked eagerly, and a minute passed, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. And finally, the lawyer said, actually, I made up that previous statement, but you all looked with anticipation. I therefore put it to you that there is reasonable doubt in this case that my client did not, in fact, commit this crime. The jury retired to deliberate on the findings, and only after a few minutes the jury returned and pronounced a verdict of guilty. And so after the courtroom had been adjourned, the defense attorney went to the foreman of the jury, and he said, you had to have had doubt. You had to have doubt. I saw all of you stare at the door. You all turned looking for the person that was presumed dead. You thought he was going to walk through that door. I saw you all look. And the foreman answered the defense attorney, and we did look, but your client did not. It's a pretty good defense, but it's probably not quite thought out. You see, guilty is as guilty does. The Bible is pretty clear. If we're standing trial before God, we would be looking, we wouldn't be looking at the door either. We're guilty, all of us, even me, all of us are guilty of high crimes against God. And therefore, because we are guilty, we deserve judgment. 
The Apostle John says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now is the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. But then there's a comma, For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. The accuser there is, of course, Satan, the devil. You see, there's a a spiritual courtroom that's taking place. The devil is the prosecuting attorney. And boy, does he ever have a case against me and you. I mean a whopper of a case. Before he was tossed down, he stood before God and named every one of our sins and demanded punishment. He demanded punishment of me and of you. He knew everything we had done. And he was standing before God, accusing us day and night. And thankfully, God did punish our sins. But he did not punish our sins in the way that the devil wanted. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live among us, to teach us. And then Jesus was tried for crimes that he never committed. He took a beating that he didn't deserve. He then succumbed to a death that was never meant or architected for him. Jesus was not only our defense attorney, but he also went to jail, the jail of death. And in doing so, he set us all free. And today, friends, I want to remind you that Satan wants to defeat you, but it's God himself that has defended you. Satan wants to defeat you, but it's God himself that has defended you. This morning before we read Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, I want to provide for you just a little bit of context. Jesus has just performed an incredible miracle. He, he met a man who was mute and gave him back his voice. And after the miracle, people were amazed. They were stunned. They couldn't believe what had happened. And Jesus took this amazing moment and turned it into a teachable moment. Jesus, in that moment, he pulls back the veil and we see briefly a world that we cannot see with human eyes. This world is a spiritual world. And in this spiritual world, battles are being waged every day. There's give and there's take. There's good against evil. There's darkness versus light. And Jesus, in doing so, telling in this teachable moment, he reveals that there are ultimately two kingdoms. There is a godly kingdom, which is of heaven, and then there is a satanic kingdom, which is of earth. And Jesus states that he is a member of God's kingdom. He directly represents the personification of God here on earth. Jesus is literally behind enemy lines. He is on Satan's turf, and Satan grows angry with the fact that Jesus is here. And so this morning, I want to read to you Jesus' words concerning spiritual warfare and learn more about tactics on how we can defeat Satan. By the way, we ought to be getting used to this piece of Scripture. This is the third week we've read it. I promise you we're not going to read it next week. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verses 24 through 28. I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I'll return to my house from which I came, the house that being of a human soul. And when it comes, it finds a house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. 
And, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. And he said these things, and excuse me, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice to him and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you. In verse 28 he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I want to remind you this morning as you look on your order of worship that a demon's desire is really to do four things. The first is to dominate you. This demon wants to take possession of your heart. He wants to take possession of your mind. And he wants to take possession of your soul. He wants to have everything about you. He wants to control your language. He wants to control your actions. He wants to control your whole life. This demon wants to dominate you. Secondarily, he wants to depress you. He wants to worry you to death. He wants you to be fearful of everything around you. He especially wants you to be fearful of God himself, the very being who died for you and defended you. He wants you to be afraid of him. God who loves you and longs to liberate you. Satan wants you to turn your back on him. Well, friends, I've said many times here on this stage, behind this pulpit, that so many people come to my office and they open their hearts to me. And I would say nine out of ten of them are dealing with worry and fear and depression. Oh, friends, Satan wants to beat you up and knock you down. He wants to dominate you. He wants to depress you. But then he wants to disable you. Again, go back to Luke chapter 11, and you'll see verses 24 through 28 that a demon, he wants to take possession of your soul, and if he can't have it, he's going to bring more with him. And then he's going to ruin your home. He wants to disable your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And then lastly, he wants to discredit you. Do you remember last week we talked about all these preachers and teachers, people in high-ranking spiritual positions in seminaries who have allowed their ministries to be completely and utterly discredited because of moral failures in their life, because of poor decisions in their life, because pastors and preachers and teachers took their eye off the ball, off of God's Word, and placed it on the world, and they began to chase after worldly things. And friends, it's not just pastors, preachers, and teachers that can, that can succumb to, to moral failures, but you can as well. And we all have heard stories of friends, people that we know and love, who have done just that, and it breaks our hearts. And friend, there is nothing worse in the world than when a professing believer falls. It doesn't just discredit that professing believer, but it also sullies the name of Jesus in the world. And so, friends, this is what Satan wants to do, to dominate you, depress you, disable you, and discredit you. But I have good news today. There are four ways, four ways, as I read Luke chapter 11, that we can defeat the demonic forces of Satan. And this is great. And I really believe that many of these tools and tricks, that they will help you as you stand firm against Satan and his forces. The first one is this that we must first receive Christ. You have to receive Christ. I have to receive Christ. We have to worship him. In verse 27, as he said these things, listen to what this woman said. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you. 
She is praising Jesus. Uh, Some of my favorite stories are conversion stories. Do you remember your conversion story? Do you remember what life was like before Jesus? Now, I, I was just out in the parking lot walking in today. I, I met a, a brother that I dearly love. And he said, pre, he said Pastor, that, that sermon you gave last week was okay. And I said, that's what I'm shooting for, okay. <laughs> Don't you love that commercial, the okay commercial? Well, I'm okay. Oh, you're okay. No, he said, he said, Pastor, that sermon that you delivered last week was so good. It was really good. And he said, it really hit me at home because I began to remember my life before Jesus. And do you remember what your life was like before Christ? Before someone stepped into your life, maybe a, a vacation Bible school teacher, maybe a preacher, a teacher, your mom and dad, uh, maybe a loving friend who came to you and shared Jesus with you. And in that moment, you embraced Christ and your life transformed from before you knew Christ to now after you knew Christ. And there is now a difference. You received Christ. I love hearing these stories. I heard a story of a man whose marriage was falling apart. He spent all of his nights in a pool hall. He would hustle people out of their money. He was the definition of a pool shark. When he wasn't hustling people at the pool tables, he was smoking cigarettes, doing drugs, drinking heavily. He was an abusive man, an angry man. His vocabulary was filled with cursing. He spent most of his days drunk, and when he wasn't drunk, he was trying to get drunk. Then one day, someone came to him. Someone was called to share Christ with him, and this pool shark heard the gospel for the very first time, and something inside of him transformed. He became open. The Spirit called out to this man and connected with him. He was drawn from darkness into light and was immediately a different man. His marriage and time was healed. He went to church. He then went to seminary. And now he pastors one of the largest churches in the great state of Georgia. That's Woodstock Baptist Church, Pastor Johnny Hunt, who's actually going to be speaking here in November. Then a, a personal testimony of someone that I know. This other man lived in New Orleans, And as a teenager, he spent his nights in the French Quarter. He was an apprentice to a magician. And he and his magician master would stay out all night long and perform street magic on the street corner of Bourbon Street. He would receive dollar bills and quarters for his time. And as a young teen, he was exposed to all types of visual sin. He was exposed to alcohol and drugs at the age of 12, he began to do these things. The other day, uh, excuse me, the, the, the older he got, the more backwards he fell into that dark world, he became an angry man. And one day, while driving on Interstate I-10, the same interstate that many of us have driven before, he lost control of his car. His car flipped down the interstate some six or seven times. Miraculously, he didn't die, but he spent months, he spent months in the hospital. 
a chaplain came by and brought him a Bible, and this man picked up for the Bible for maybe one of the very first times in his life, and he began to read it cover to cover. And after reading God's Word, he accepted Jesus Christ right there in his hospital room all by himself. His life was radically transformed, and I mean it was incredibly transformed. When I met him, I was doing graduate work at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He was attending seminary, and to say that he was a little rough around the edges would be an understatement. He was a man on a journey. Today, he pastors one of the largest churches in Tennessee. His name is Robbie Gallaty at Long, Long Hollow Baptist Church. One last story. In England, there was a bartender, and every day, people would come into the bar and pour out their hearts to him. They would share their innermost sorrows with him, and he would watch as they would drown their problems in a bottle of booze. And one day he happened to hear the gospel message and he invited Jesus into his heart and he was gloriously, miraculously saved. And God called him to preach. And he covered England preaching the gospel and he came to the United States and led thousands to accept Christ as their Savior. It said that some of 70,000 people accepted Christ under this man's preaching. And what's his name? Well, he was Pastor George Whitfield. I hope you're seeing the point. The first step in defeating Satan and his works is first to receive Christ. Because believing in Christ opens you up to radical transformation. Believing in Stuart is not going to transform your life. Believing in your spouse is not going to transform your life. Believing in some guru or self-help book is not going to transform your life. The only person that can transform your life is Jesus Christ. The only book that will ever make a difference in your life is God's Word. You may think that you're broken. Believe in Christ and he'll put you back together. You may think that your marriage is too far gone. Trust me, friends, I've seen it. You may think that your marriage is too far gone. Believe in Christ and he can save it. You may think that that addiction is too strong. Believe in Christ. Christ is stronger. You may think that your life will never be as good after he or she broke your heart. Believe in Christ because he wants to have a relationship with you. You may think that you'll never find a direction for your life. Believe in Christ, friends, and he will be your compass. 1 John chapter 4, or excuse me, verse five, chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through what? Our faith. Believe it. The only way to defeat it is to have faith in Christ. Well, let's look at Roman numeral number two. Four ways to defeat Satan's work. We receive Christ. And then number two is we refuse demonic practices. We refuse demonic practices. Friends, obedience is a key. Obedience is a key. In verse 28, Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, who hear it and do it. When we tell our children not to run out in the road, we're trying to protect them, right? We're trying to protect them from being hit by a car. And we hope that they'll, that they'll obey us because if they don't obey us, there could be a very rude awakening, a consequence 
uh, that could be awaiting them. We tell our teenagers, those moms and dads who have teenagers, we tell our teenagers who are first driving that they can't, have, they can't fill their car with other teenagers. Maybe they can only have one passenger at a time. As parents, we know that teenagers are easily distracted. They're first-time drivers, and so we want to limit the amount of distractions that they have in their car. We want them to be safe and not suffer the, the consequences of those distractions. And Jesus tells us that we're blessed not only when we hear the Word of God, but we're blessed when we obey it, when we keep it. We hear instruction, we obey instruction, and then we're blessed for doing just that. It wasn't long ago, by the way, we all celebrated July 4th. July 4th is one of my very favorite holidays. One of my most favorite holidays. One, just because I love to celebrate what God has done in the past of our country and so thankful for all the men and women that have served. But I love July 4th for the fireworks. I love July 4th for the barbecue. Can I get an amen? Amen. I also love July 4th for the videos. You know what videos I'm talking about? The videos of dumb people with fireworks. I saw a new one. It wasn't Backup Terry, although that's a good one. This was another one. Uh, It was late on 4th of July, and no doubt that this gentleman in question had been enjoying a long day of festivities. And he had a firework, and he decided to light that firework in his hand. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, did I mention he also lit the firework in his hand in his home? So all of his friends were laughing. How hilarious. This man has a lit firework in his hand, in his home. Smoke is going everywhere. We're having a party. And then someone comes to their senses and tells this gentleman, you may want to throw that firework outside. Sage advice. And so finally they slide open the glass door and the man is running out to throw the firework outside and he does. He throws the firework, but apparently in his impaired judgment, he also had impaired vision. And instead of throwing the firework outside, he throws it off the interior wall, bouncing it right back to where his friends were standing inside his den. The firework, of course, explodes. There are shrieks and screams, and everyone is ducking for cover. Christ is telling us to let go. Christ is telling us, don't be stupid. Follow me. Follow me. You can't follow me if you're still holding on to the one thing that can destroy you. This man could have hurt himself, his friends. He could have even burned down his home. And by the way, that's what happens to us when we live duplicitous lives. When we're trying to be one thing and yet we're really living this way. We hurt ourselves. We hurt our family. We hurt our friends. And eventually, if we hold on to it long enough, it has the capacity to burn down everything around us. Brothers and sisters, the first step in defeating Satan is to receive Christ, but the next step is to refuse satanic temptations, temptations that will destroy you. If you have a drinking problem, don't go to the bar. If, if you've got another kind of an addiction to a 
to a screen. You, you may want to tell somebody about that and install some accountability in your life. Don't try to solve it all on your own. And friend, just use some spiritual common sense that will keep you from falling in to a pit, the mud, the muck. And Jesus has given you every tool to navigate through life successfully. All we have to do is listen. All we have to do is be obedient. How many of you have seen the new Lion King movie? Anybody? Man, I went and saw that movie the other day. It was outstanding. It was great. It really was. One of my favorite movies of the year. How many of you are familiar with the movie The Lion King? Because I want to make sure this illustration hits home. Okay, good. Do you remember when Simba runs off? Mufasa is dead. Simba runs off. Do you remember who he meets? He meets Timon and Pumbaa, a meerkat and a warthog. And man, they are hilarious. They are great. And so when they encounter Simba for the very first time, Simba is weighed down with guilt over his father's death. And Timon and Pumbaa give him a wonderful piece of advice, and it's a great song, Hakuna Matata. Remember that? Do you know what it means? It means no worries. Yeah, okay, I'm not going to sing it. Yeah, it means no worries, okay? No worries for the rest of your days. Timon even tells Pumba, or tells Simba, he says, Simba, you know what? You be you, Simba. Don't worry about anything. You be you. You live this life the way you want to live it. There's no more rules. There's, there's no more uh, anybody telling us what to do. You just go do you. And something inside Simba says, you know what? That doesn't sound like what my father said. My father tells me I was meant for more. My father tells me that I'm meant to be a king. My father tells me I'm meant to rule. My father tells me I'm meant to be good. My father tells me I'm not supposed to be selfish. My father tells me I should be concerned with others. And yet you're telling me I should just be me. You're telling me I should just chase after whatever I want to do, whatever is inside of me, that now needs to be my ruling agent. I am now my own God. I'm going to do what I want to do, eat what I want to eat. And then there is this beautiful scene in Lion King where he walks out upon the plains and he hears his father's voice from the sky, and Mufasa tells him, remember, remember who you are. You were designed to do more than live for yourself. You're a king. You are meant to rule, and you are meant to roar. Well, friend, see, I, I, I hit my wife. I didn't hit her, by the way. I nudged her, nudged her in a loving way. And I said, did you hear that? And she was like, shh. And I said, no, did you hear that? It hit me all of a sudden. I said, Fred, that is the message of the world, isn't it? You be you. You just do whatever you want to do. Why don't you just go be your own God? Chase after whatever you want to chase after. In the back of our minds, we ought to be thinking, but wait a second. My father tells me I'm loved. My father tells me I'm free. My father tells me I'm made for more than this. 
My Father has given me a purpose. My Father has created me with a design in mind. I'm, I'm meant to do more than just serve myself and serve my flesh. I'm meant to do more. Friend, we have to refuse satanic practices because that is the message that Satan wants to deliver to you as well. Illustrated beautifully in a kid's movie. So we have to receive Christ. We have to refuse demonic practices. We have to renounce Satan. Not a hard thing for any of us to do, right? Of course we would renounce Satan. Verse 28 again, he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Friends, make no mistake, Jesus came to destroy Satan and his evil works. One of the most classic pieces of scripture that proves this point comes from the book of Acts. Jesus has just met Saul on the road to Damascus, and he gives him a very clear instruction. Listen to what it says in Acts 26, verses 17 and 18. And he says this, I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and, the, and return from the power of Satan back to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and they will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. He says, Paul, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. I'm sending you to these people so that you can bring them from dark to light, so that you can bring them from Satan back to me. Make no mistake, friends, Jesus is here and he is attacking Satan. And he's going to bring him down. As believers, we should be in the business of tearing down strongholds of the devil. This is first done, by the way, not by us looking at other people and seeing their strongholds and saying, you know what, you've got a stronghold, brother. No, 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 no. It starts with us personally looking into our own lives and saying, what strongholds do I have in my own life? We have to take down the satanic barriers of racism, of greed, of materialism, of hard-heartedness, of judgment, of hate, of gluttony, of pride, of arrogance, malice, favoritism. The word, the, these words I could go on and on. And once we have addressed the log in our own eyes, can we then look at other people's specks and say, let me help you with your speck. Here's a a hard question. It's a question that I asked of myself as I wrote this message. What part of our lives does Satan influence? His influence is often quiet. It's usually not very obvious, but it's very destructive. Remember last week I told you that Satan has no power over our lives but that which we give to him. Brothers and sisters, don't grant Satan a backdoor pass into your life. Keep him out or kick him out, one or the other. In Acts chapter 19, verse 19, And many of those who practice magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found 50,000 pieces of silver. People so tired of satanic influences on their life, they ran them out of their homes and burned them in the streets. Friend, what spiritually do you need to burn in the street of your heart? We need to certainly respect Satan 
And we need to understand his power, but we need to know that Christ is greater. So our last way of defeating a demonic presence in our life, we receive Christ, we refuse demonic practices, we renounce Satan. And the last one is this, we resist Satan. We resist him. As Christians, we need to be aware of the reality of the presence of evil as we struggle to stand firm in our faith. We must realize that our enemies are not merely human ideas, but real forces that come from places of darkness. But here is the wonderful news for you today. Jesus has outfitted you to resist and run from Satan. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that we can rebuke him, but it does say that we can resist him. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers and against the powers, against the worldly forces. These are dark forces against the spiritual forces of wickedness in all the heavenly realms. These are what we are battling against. And remember, these are not necessarily things that we can see with our own eyes, but we see the effect of those things in our world. And friends, this morning, Jesus has outfitted you. He's given you his word. He's given you uh, uh, battle gear, spiritual battle gear that you can wear if you just suit up. Second Corinthians chapter 10 Verses 3 and 5. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, uh, excuse me, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Be obedient. Again, lastly, James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God and do what? Resist the devil. Resist him and he will flee from you. You don't have to do anything more than resist him. Now, I know that there's lots of different ways that we can resist Satan. Certainly one way that you're doing it today is by coming to church. That is a great way to do it. Finding accountability in your life is another way of doing it. Praising and worshiping, filling your mind with things of heaven rather than things of earth. That is another good way of doing it. But friend, I pray that you'll take the very first step. Because there may be someone in here today who's never received Christ. And I want to help you with that. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? This morning, if it's your desire to receive Christ, I want you to pray this prayer in the quietness of your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I know that I have broken your laws. And today, Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. Step into my life. Save me. Transform me. And make me new. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe that you're alive today. Lord Jesus, I cry out to you. I ask you to fill my whole life with your spirit. Possess me, guide me, and make me new. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, friend, maybe... Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. 
Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.